So let's read verses 1 to 10 again, please. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Have we not all one Father? Have, have, hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Amen. If you know anything of the Shorter Catechism, you should know and remember the first question, at least, what is the, the chief end of man? What is the main purpose of life? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. None of that is a passing emotional phase, but it is an eternal relationship, an eternal state of giving God the glory However, when we're examining Malachi and chapter 2 and these first 10 verses that we see here, we see that that's not the case with the Levitical priests of Malachi's day. It is not the case. It was the case, as we will see. The very beginning of the setting up of the Levitical order of priests, there, was, there were days, there were good days, there were days of giving God the glory and of feeding of the flock of God but they no longer glorify God as He has commanded. Which is very shocking when you consider the historical context in which we uh, are, in which we sit as we, we look at Malachi chapter 2. And so God mercifully, having threatened His people from 1450s when He first gave them the law and made it very clear, these are my ways, these are the laws and the statutes of my kingdom, and ye are my people, and if you will not keep my laws, if you will rebel against me, then I will take you away from the land that I, will promise, that I have promised you, and you will be carried away into a strange land with strange gods and a strange tongue, 
you will be uprooted from the land in which God, your Savior, has planted you. And if you know anything about the history of the Old Testament, you know that God's long-suffering to His people was great. Century after century after century of rebellion. And we know that that rebellion uh, happened much quicker and much strongly in the northern kingdom as the, uh, the whole of Israel was split into two kingdoms in the sun uh, during the beginning of the reign of the son of Solomon, Rehoboam. But that northern kingdom of Israel became apostate and remained apostate. Very quickly, and the Lord took, took them away with the king of Assyria. And then later on, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, the, Judah the, the, the people of Judah, of the southern kingdom, had not known complete apostasy. They had known times of great backslidings, but also times of great revival, great reformation happening a, a number of times. Small and large, three large reformations, and a number of smaller uh, mercies of God to the, to the royal house and even to the people. So much so that at times these, uh, the, the false way of worshipping God, the true God, were removed. Uh, the false ways of worshipping false gods were also removed. And even at one time, the Sodomites were driven out of the land. And yet even they were finally, uh, uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar, and in waves taken out of the land. See, the, the promises and the warnings of God are absolutely faithful. And so the warnings that they had given him, given to Judah, they had despised, and ultimately the Lord brought them out of the land. He uprooted them in a number of waves. And starting with the time of Daniel, it would appear, as we look at the history with Nebuchadnezzar, probably about 605 uh, B.C. But the Lord was merciful. He had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah and said there would be 70 years. And so the Lord brings his people back. He turns the heart of the new king of Persia and, and, and has his people uh, turned back and brought back into the land. And now they are brought back out of captivity. Not everybody came back, but a number did. And they're given the opportunity to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. But what we see here, and this is the time that Malachi is preaching, in the time it seems, as we understand, in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. But the duties of the Levitical priesthood, it seems, especially when Malachi is speaking to them, to them, their duties as the priests of the means of grace, the full means of grace that they had given to them. Their duties had become, or they had become indifferent to their duties. They had become lazy regarding their duties, and they had dishonored God and had become a hindrance to the people. And as we shall see, that's only one side of the coin when we're considering the priesthood. And the Lord comes with this great rebuke from Malachi uh, to them because the people themselves are the other side of that coin and we see that they themselves are also unteachable. 
also unrebukable. And as we'll come to verse 10, we'll see that they're also unloving. There is disunity amongst the people of God. You'll never be able to build a wall or build, rebuild a temple when there's disunity. You'll never be able to move forward as a people where there is disunity. But let us see as the Lord is pleased to help us this evening. Something of, or at least our part in giving glory unto God's name. How can we give glory unto God's name when we see these rebukes that say, especially see there in verse 2, if you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts. Man's chief end. Your chief end, my chief end, is to glorify God, to give Him the glory. So, giving glory unto God's name. And as we open up this second chapter of Malachi, seeing the first three verses, we see the glory you owe to God. The glory you owe to God in verses 1 uh, to 3. The glory you owe to God. To whom is this prophecy preached then? As we look at the glory you owe to God. Well, verse 1 tells us very clearly, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. We had seen in, in, in chapter 1, yeah, the priests were spoken to very clearly there in, in verse 6. There was a rebuke that went forth toward them, but not just to them. And the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel, see there in chapter 1 and verse 1. To the whole of the nation, the whole people of God here is a, a word coming out, the last word, before God is silent for 400 years. The last word to his people. So to whom is the prophecy preached? The Levites. Yes, to the Levites. But not just to the Old Testament office bearers. As we, in the New Testament church, as we read these words, as we try to understand it, what would God have us understand from his word tonight? Oh, we understand well. When we think of who the Levitical priesthood is, we see who they are and, and who they who has taken over their role in the New Testament church, well, we see that they represent all of the New Testament office bearers also. Teaching elders, ruling elders, deacons. And as we looked at even when we were examining verse 6, Old Testament and New Testament doctrine says this, the priesthood of all believers. So we can take this to heart. We as New Testament Christians, although we must be very clear, the historical grammatical understanding of chapter 2 is spoken at that time to the Levitical priesthood. But we can gather sustenance. We can, as God helps us, take over the rebuke. Maybe not something that we would naturally do, of course. But it's something that we should do. Because consider who rebukes. Yes, you can say the prophet Malachi, but who was speaking through the prophet Malachi? Well, we know that Christ is. Christ speaks through his prophets. And Christ's rebuke is a sweet thing. Not necessarily an easy thing, but a sweet thing because he is not out for our downfall. He is out for our good. He's out for us to hear something upon which his wrath is resting, but he would have that wrath removed. He would have peace. He would have, he would have restoration between himself and us. 
to, to whom in the prophecy preached. Yes, historically, the Levites, uh, maybe extending it to the church authorities in the New Testament church, uh, but indeed to all believers. God saying to us, then, if you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, etc. That's what the Lord is saying. Why is this prophecy then preached? So to whom it's preached, we've, we now understand somewhat, certainly to us this evening. But why is this prophecy preached? Why is it preached? Well, Malachi 2 and verse 2 says, The priests are not listening. And they are not laying to heart the words of rebuke of the prophet Malachi, of the word of the Lord, anything else, any other prophet that the Lord has sent to them. They are not listening and they are not taking it seriously. They are not allowing that word to enter in. They're not laying it to heart and therefore they're not giving glory unto the name of the Lord of hosts. They're resisting the Lord's prophet and the Lord's word. And yet, as we shall see in later verses, they were to be something else. They were to be preachers of the gospel. They were to be teachers of the knowledge of Christ. That's what they were there for. But thirdly, why this great offense to God then? Because it, as we've read the third verse... No doubt you've been maybe somewhat shocked as I was and am when I read it. It says, Behold, I will corrupt your seed, the children, who are God's children by covenant. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. So we do understand as we've read verse 2 and, and, and maybe verse 1, but verse 2, that it is dishonoring to God to ignore his rebuke and to ignore his commandments, to lay aside the words of his prophets and in some ways to harden your heart because they lay it not to heart. So there's a hardening of heart. And he says here that it is dishonoring to do so because we're not giving him honor, we're not giving him the glory, but there we see the word cursings. I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. So the good things that the Lord has given, he's saying, I'm going to turn them into a curse. Or remove them and replace them with a curse. It's not good whichever way you understand that phrase. And he speaks there in verse 3, that I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces. You can imagine that. Smearing dung into somebody's faces is dishonoring them. It's a terrible thing. It's, it's, it's as if somebody smacks you across the cheek in public. It's, 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 it's something very clearly meant to, to humiliate you in front of other people. It's not going to knock you out necessarily. It's not going to hurt that much. It will sting, of course. But it's meant to dishonor you. 
even the dung of your solemn feasts. So he says, I'm thinking of the dung on the street, say, or the dung in the, on the field from the, from the our farm animal, taking up and smothering it into Levitical priest faces. They are with the Levitical robes, all clean and all ready to do their duty. And God says, I'm going to smear something unclean, ritually unclean, into your face. Not just ritually unclean, of course. The very idea would probably make us gag. But the Lord says, I'm, I, I will do that. Spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts. What does he mean by this? Why is he saying, I will corrupt your seed and I will spread dung upon your faces and even the dung, and he's calling their solemn feasts that he ordered, that he ordained, and he's saying they are as dung. And maybe there may be something uh, historical that would point to the, the use of dung. But that's not clear. But it seems that he's pointing to the solemn feast that they are presiding over, that they are carrying out in the wrong way, and he says it's as dung. And then he says, one shall take you away with it. As if he's threatening them again with another captivity. Because of your sin. This is immensely dishonoring to God because essentially what they've done, and we'll see it as we, as we uh, go further down into these verses, that what they have done with their dead religion, they don't hear, they don't lay it to heart, they have made something of God's revealed religion something dead, and we'll, we'll see that as we're going through it. But essentially, because they are not teachable themselves, they are not teaching the people, they are not preaching the gospel, what do they have? They have this big building, they have all these sacrifices, they have all these, all these rituals that are all meant to speak of Christ, to speak of the gospel, and yet they have turned it into nothing. So God's seed is being corrupted. His own people, yes, but the seed of the woman, that is Jesus Christ. They're corrupting Christ. They are spreading dung on God's face. They are making a foul dung, foul dung heap of the solemn feasts. And they're being threatened with captivity. They have removed Christ from his house, from his religion, from his sacrifices, from the rituals of cleansing, from all the means of grace they have made Christless, and God is wrathful upon them. They owe him glory, but they have dishonored him. Secondly, as we come to the next few verses, we see, having seen the glory you owe to God, uh, secondly, the Levitical covenant. The Levitical covenant we see in verses 4 to 6. The Lord says he made a covenant with Levi. And now the Lord compares the Levites of Malachi's day with the Levites of Moses' day. What does he say then? Verses 4 to 6. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, I gave him to be, I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. 
He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. So four things that were seen in the first Levites. Now, Levi himself was not uh, the first Levite, uh, but the honor is given to his name for the tribe was elect of God uh, to serve him in the tabernacle and then the temple. So the first Levites from the time of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses and Aaron were also Levites. And we know that Moses and Aaron at different times had different amounts of zeal for the Lord's work. But the Levites themselves at many times were known to be the most zealous for God's work. Even in the time of the wilderness. But there were four things that these early Levites lived out. And the same four things that they taught the people. These four things we draw from those verses that we've just read. They, they lived out and they taught the fear of God. See that in verse 5. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him, that is life and peace, for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The early Levites, they feared God, which is why they loved God, which is why they had a zeal for God. We're going to look at these four things a little later on, so I'm not going into too much detail now. So they taught and they lived out the fear of God, but also the law of God. Beginning of chapter 6, the law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. Those two expressions saying the same thing. And then the way of God, thirdly, in, verses, in the remainder of verse 6, he walked with me in peace and equity. Equity meaning, in this sense, righteously. So he walked the walk. He feared God in his heart. He knew and he taught the law. He walked with the Lord in peace and equity. There's much we could say about that. That the early Levites were truly born again Israelites. They were true Israelites. At least many were because they walked with God in peace and with equity. And they were gospel preachers finally the gospel of God and to turn many away from iniquity. They weren't teaching a dead religion. They were teaching true religion. The fear of God, the law of God, the way of God and the gospel of God. In other words, Levi or the Levites were diligent in teaching Christ. As much as they understood of Christ and of the gospel promises, and they did have many, and they revealed Christ in the, sacrifice, in the sacrificial system that they administered and would teach, teach from the law of God, in which Christ himself says that, that I'm revealed in there. Search the scriptures, for they they are that speak of me. And the Lord calls this calling of the Levites, this ministry of the Levites, and maybe with those four things that we've seen in these verses here, the fear and the law and the way and the gospel of God, he calls that ministry and his, his choosing of them for that ministry, he calls it a covenant. And the Lord has made a covenant with them, or made a covenant with his people and has included them in the covenant However, that would be precisely termed 
because they are to serve the Lord and they are to serve the Lord's people. They are the humans that God uses to bring the means of grace to them. That the poor Israelite saved from the town of Bethlehem is is guilty of the sin that he has committed against God and he knows that if he goes to the temple, if he goes to the temple according to that that part, part of Exodus or that part of Leviticus and he knows that if he brings this offering that the Lord says, I will forgive your sin. And so he comes to the Levites and they are to administer the means of grace to that poor sinner. And so on an individual basis, the, the sinner that believes the promises and the word of God as given in the Old Testament can come before the Lord life for life, death for life, and can have their conscience soothed. They can have their sins forgiven them because they have, by faith, obeyed the word of God. And so they come, but we know, also know that the Levites on a national level, administer the means of grace to the whole of the people of God, to, the, to all of Israel. And the Lord calls that calling, calls that administration, calls that ministry a covenant. But we see in verse 8, as we'll get that far, and we will very soon, that they're covenant breakers. They've broken the covenant of God, that God has called them into this ministry, and they have broken that covenant. They are not fulfilling their office. They are not exalting Christ. They are not helping the people, serving the people. So we see, firstly, then, the glory you owe to God. Secondly, this covenant of duty and worship. Thirdly, the priestly duties that are mentioned Verses 7 to 9 then, as we're moving through uh, these 10 verses. Verses 7 to 9, we see a number of things when we're concerning the priestly duties that are pointed out. These are the priestly duties that God expects of them, but we see also that there's, a, that there's well, different aspects to the duty. First, you see that there's a mutual duty in verse 7. There's a mutual duty of priest and people. Verse 7 says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge... And they, that is the people, should seek the Lord at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So the preacher is to study to know about God. And not just to have knowledge from the scriptures, but to know God. To know about God, and to know God, and to know God's ways. And the people are to seek counsel from him. That's what we see here. And why is that? Well, the Lord says, because, this is what that for means, because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's the reason why. The Lord has sent him as his messenger. The Lord has many messengers. The Lord has angelic messengers, but he also has human messengers. The priests are to be his messengers. Malachi, as we understand, means my messenger in Hebrew. And I think that's why we have the title of the Lord of hosts. The Lord has armies of messengers, armies of angels, armies of priests, armies of preachers, prophets. 
And that's why he says he has appointed, he has ordained one to be knowledgeable, to keep the knowledge uh, of God. The priest's lips should keep knowledge because he should speak of that knowledge. He should gain that knowledge and he should speak of that knowledge and it is for the people to seek the law at his mouth because he is one of the Lord's many messengers. It is the God-given role, it is the God-given function. He is called, he is ordained to be faithful to God and to be faithful to his people, to the people of God. In other words, it's his role and responsibility for himself to be gathered at the feet of Jesus and to gather the people of God around the feet of Jesus to be taught, to seek counsel at the lips of Christ. For a faithful minister will speak nothing but the word of God. So both are to be gathered around the feet of Christ. That is essentially, put in a nutshell, that is the mutual duty of priest and people. But we see, unfortunately, the departure from duty in verse 8. The departure from duty, these Levites being rebuked in the time of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. And in verse 8 we see it says, the Lord says, but ye, Levitical priests, the time of Malachi, are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. So they themselves then, having just compared with with, with the glorious time of the early Levites, verses 4, 5, and 6 is now compared. Because there should be that relationship between priest and people. It should be a mutual relationship. It should be a relationship that that, that surrounds Christ, as it were. But ye departed out of the way. They themselves have left off their Christian duties. They have caused others to backslide and fail. And why is this? Because they have broken the Levitical covenant. Those things that we've just mentioned and looked at that that have been exalted before us as, as a great example, they have left off. They have therefore broken the covenant. They no longer live out and they no longer teach those core biblical truths that we just And if we would like to compare that with today and with those that preach today, we could say, well, the fear of God, as we see it in the evangelical world, has been replaced. The fear of God is seen as something wrong, just not understanding what the biblical fear of God is. And you think, well, fear, fear sounds bad. We don't want fear. Fear is anxiety. Fear is terrible. No, it's not. The fear of God is good. And we're not going to go into a sermon about the fear of God at the moment, but the fear of God has been what? It's been replaced by a superficial, sappy sort of love. Which is not the fear of God. The biblical fear of God sharpens a true love. And make sure that our love is not superficial. It is not sappy. It is not human emotion. But it is... A true, holy, loving obedience to God. The fear of God keeps us from sinning. 
Well, we see also the law of God. They were not living it and they were not teaching it. The law of God. I mean, as we know, the law of God has been rejected. Ten Commandments, what happened in the 1900s or in the 20th century en masse, the Ten Commandments became Nine Commandments. Do away with the Lord's Day. Other commandments have been thrown to one side in a, in, in, in a zeal for false ecumenism. Then you've got to remove the whole of the first table. And if you're going to pander to, uh, to certain portions of society and say, oh, well, suddenly sodomy is not a sin, and therefore we can, we can say that the committing of adultery, well, that's not a sin anymore because we're inviting sinners in and we're saying you don't have to repent of those sins. Which is a falsehood, of course. It is not a love for their soul. It is actually a hatred for their soul. And if they had more of the fear of God, they wouldn't have so much of the fear of man. So the law of God has been uh, rejected, and we see sin has been allowed to run rampant in the churches. And the way of God has been watered down. What do I mean by the way of God? I mean walking as children of light. I mean walking in in a holy manner. Be holy as God is holy, the Lord says. Keeping to all Ten Commandments and all their various applications in your life. And keeping those commandments out of a love to Jesus, who himself says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we're not adding to his commandments, we're not editing his commandments, and we're not using his commandments to bribe him as the legalist would. But these commandments are there to show that we love him. And that's been watered down, of course. A very worldly religion, a very world-following religion, has been brought about, very much similar to the law of God, of course. And then the gospel of God. The gospel of God that convicts. People don't want to be convicted anymore. When they hear the word of God and it says something that they're guilty of, they'll walk out. They'll close their ears. They're not interested in the convicting work. But that is the work of the Spirit that Jesus Christ teaches us about. That the Spirit will come and convict, or convince, they're both the same word, originally. It's the gospel of God that comes with law, with threatenings, with warnings, with rebukes. And it must do because if you take heed to those rebukes and those, those warnings and those threatenings, there are wonderful promises. God's wrath is upon you, sinner, because you've turned your back upon God, but repent and everlasting life is promised to you. People don't want to be convicted. They just want to feel nice. They want to feel good, whether it's a lie or not. So the gospel of God that convicts and the gospel that converts, that's used by the Spirit to convert sinners that are dead in trespasses and sins has been replaced by a Jesus loves you and wants to give you your best life now. 
Try as you may, you will not find that gospel in the Scriptures. And if it's not the, the gospel of the Scriptures, what is it? What is it? Is it a half-truth? Is it taking some words out of context? Is it being partial in the law, to quote verse 9? But this false gospel, this half-gospel, this unbiblical gospel... But considering the one that we've just mentioned, that Jesus loves everybody and wants to give them a blessed life now, is something that does excite the flesh. It does entice the goats, but it leaves the soul unregenerate. And this sort of liberalizing, uh, this sort of watering down, this sort of half-truths, we can see this is what the Lord is saying against the Levitical priests of Malachi's day. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. We could go into some more detail in verse 9, which opens up even more the fact that these, these priests are being, Levitic, they're being hypocritical. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. You see, these people are trying to please the people, these, 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 these preachers, these priests. They're trying to please the people. They're trying to find something that will tickle their ears. But what has happened is, is that they are not exalted before the people. The Lord says, I have brought them down. I have debased them before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. That, that, is a, that is a truth, that is a rebuke that we can see that's being applied to many mainstream churches today. They have been unfaithful. And so the whole, and this is a terrible slander of Christ, but the world looks at, say, the Anglican Church or the, or the Presbyterian Church of Canada uh, or, 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 other, or the churches, the Roman Catholic Church. And they don't look at these churches and think, oh, wow, these wonderful institutions. The majority of people look down upon them. They have been debased before all the people because they've abandoned the gospel. They've abandoned the truth of the Word of God. Yes, there might be moralizers still here and there. There might be legalists still here and there. But they've abandoned God. And as we've already read in verse 2, God will abandon them. According as ye have not kept my ways. And it seems that expression, but have been partial in the law, uh, that they have not kept the whole counsel of God, they have not taught the whole counsel of God, but they have picked certain things out of the word that they like. Now in my past experience of attending a charismatic church, I can say that's very true. There were words, there were verses taken out of their historical context, out of their doctrinal context, out of any context, and made to say whatever felt good, but they did not teach the whole counsel of God. They would not mention the word hell. One preacher I knew even said very proudly that while I'm preaching in this church, this is way back in Holland and in a charismatic fellowship, says the name of hell will not be mentioned, this preacherette. 
exalting herself above Christ. Because the most that we understand and know about Christ is from, know about hell is from Christ's own preaching. So she found the content of Christ's own sermons to be distasteful. Hardly sounds like someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we see here also, it says, but ye are departed out of the way. Sorry, verse 9, therefore also have I made you contemptible according and base before all the people according as ye have not kept my ways and have been partial in my law, in the law. In fact, what we understand when he says that he has made them contemptible and base before all the people is as it were the first step in God doing away with them. He's doing away with this corrupt priesthood that would exist for another 400 or so years, but the Lord would do 470 years, let's be precise, but the Lord will do away with them. He will do away with them and he will replace them with a new priesthood, an incorruptible and eternal priesthood, not of Levi, but of the order of Melchizedek, and that is Christ himself. So the glory of O God, the Levitical covenant that he mentions, the priestly duties, and fourthly and finally, the prophet's lament. Malachi is bemoaning a situation we see here. We hear his voice again in verse 10. It is as he were, as he's speaking on a, on a more human level uh, to the Levitical priests and maybe to any people that are present as he prophesies. He says, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? And so here, we'll, therefore, we see the fruits of priests that are disobedient, do not teach, do not take rebuke, and of a people that are not receiving teaching or are themselves unteachable. It says here something about their love of God has grown cold and their love of the brethren has grown cold. Malachi says, we have a blessed union as believers. He says, we have one Father, we have one Creator. So the second time that Malachi speaks of the doctrine of God as Father. We have one Father, we have one God. We are, we are, we are in this together. We are His people. Uh, he is our God. But he says there is also with this blessed union, there is a wickedness that causes a disunion. Because everybody is at each other's throats. Every man is against his brother. Dealing treacherously. Lying about. Slandering. Finding the worst things to say. Speaking about their fellow believer. Their fellow Christian. To use New Testament language. And the Bible calls that dealing treacherously, dangerously, traitorously. Every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers. Covenant breakers as well. Covenant breakers had so much given to us by God, having this blessed union, having this blessed situation of who we are and yet... We have abandoned Christ. We have abandoned the word of Christ. We have abandoned obedience to Christ. And look what happens. The flesh has taken over. 
The old man of the flesh is no longer being suppressed, crucified, mortified, but it's taking over. That's all it is. That's why we're commanded repeatedly, mortify the deeds of the flesh, put off that which belonged to the old man of the flesh. Put it off. Don't let it have any strength. But they have. The means of grace have been despised, been misused, abused. But we see that Malachi is not afraid of speaking the truth in love to these people, even though he knows he would not be liked by it, for it. All he has to do is look into the Old Testament scriptures that he had, and he could see prophet after prophet after prophet was despised, ignored, imprisoned, beaten, starved, and even killed. And yet, even though he knows he will not be liked by it, liked for it, and certainly not by the unrepentant and rebellious believers, using that term very generally, but he does know this, that there would be some by God's grace that would take the rebuke to heart, that would repent of their sin, that would humble themselves unto repentance, and no doubt would at some later time thank him with tears of gratitude, understanding what the Scriptures say. Proverbs 27 and verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Something we see here also. And the actions and the activity, the fear of man, the flesh of man. And yet Malachi is looking to be faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so when, when this has been dealt with, when this, this rebuke, even though the Lord says, if you will not hear, although it is an if you will not hear, but we see what has happened already, because he says, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, yea, I have cursed them already. We've already come to the end of the Lord's long-suffering. But the Lord would desire that there be a faithful preacher, that there be a faithful flock that comes together, one to teach faithfully, the other to be taught faithfully, and therefore, under the means of grace, and our means of grace are very different from the days of the Old Testament, and yet they're all Christ-centered. They're all looking at Christ, they're looking unto Christ, they're speaking of Christ, they're exhorting Christ, they're glorifying Christ. And it is under the means of grace that the preacher can fulfill his God-given calling and that people can be taught the things of God. As I mentioned about the mutual duties just a few moments ago, this is to be a mutually rewarding relationship, the preacher and the flock together. By avoiding those means of grace, not being attentive to the teaching ministry, what happens Well, a hardness and a coldness comes upon you? And maybe even a division in the flock is the result. But, is we always have this promise, we always have this, this good news, but as the preacher and the people come together, as one teaches and the flock is taught, multiple blessings are granted, cursings are removed, 
And why is that? Because it is the God-ordained order. He has determined it. Your opinion is not needed. His word has revealed it. My desire, my opinion is not important. It's his word. So that we would be able to do that which the Lord begins this with, and he says that we would be able to give glory unto his name. But that stubbornness of the Levitical priests, the coldness of the people, what is it? It is indicative of a backsliding. And backsliding is always connected with unrepented sin. And God is not glorified in backsliding. The devil is. God is not glorified in backsliding. But the Lord is glorified in restoring you from backsliding. But we have no excuse for backsliding. But we find ourselves backslidden. We, we, we find ourselves like the priest and the people here. Uh, then what must we do? Well, then we must come by that twofold doorway of repentance and faith. It is ever the case for the first time for the sinner to become a saint, but also for the, the backslidden believer to have their relationship, have their peace in their heart restored with God to be at peace with the Lord. To have that walk that Levi had, or the early Levitical priests. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me. But when we consider these matters, and we have considered these matters as believers, these four things that we've looked at, the fear of God, the law of God, the way of God, and the gospel of God also have their application to the sinner. But what do we mean then by the fear of God? Well, to the sinner, the fear of God is something different. There is no loving fear of God. There is no fear that, that, that purifies your love and purifies your walk before God. For the sinner, the unbeliever, the unconverted sinner, the fear of God is this, is knowing something of the convicting work of the Spirit, that God's wrath is upon you. And there is that fear, that fear that you should have as you stand upon a highway at night and, a, and you can't move, you're chained, you're chained as it were to the tarmac and you can't move away and there's a, there's a huge truck coming towards you at 100 kilometers an hour. There is a fear that you have because you will have that meeting with God and you cannot pull out that chain and the meeting will take place. The thing is, are you an enemy of God or have you through Jesus become his friend? There is a fear that you should have so that you will find peace in Jesus and, and it will only be in Jesus because the fear of God is to do with the fact that the, you are at war with God you are a rebel against him, and it says in the Scriptures that he is against the sinner. I don't believe what, it's, what, what is said in the world, but it says that God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. That's not in the Scriptures. God hates all workers of iniquity. You hate him, he hates you. And it's a righteous hate on his side, 
It's a sinful hate on your side. So there is a fear, but let that fear not, not cause you to run away from God as is in the nature of man as Adam did when he sinned. But in the gospel, let it be a fear that draws you to God. Because God commands you to come to him and to repent. There is that fear of God because you've broken the law of God. Second thing. You've broken the law of God. You're, you're God's enemy. You've broken his holy laws. And you're unrepentant of breaking these laws. These are good laws. These are righteous laws. These are holy laws. These are laws of love. And you break them. You despise your creator. Etc. And you certainly do not live the way of God. And because of these things, because you hate God and you have a, a sinful fear of Him, you're a lawbreaker, covenant breaker as well, we could throw in. You do not walk the way of God. And yet God is not like you. God is not merciless and sinful with a cold and hard heart because He brings the gospel. He brings good news, glad tidings. We've looked at the bad news, but here is the good news that God knows that you hate him. He knows that you're a lawbreaker. He knows that you have no good desire toward him. And yet he comes with the gospel and says this, you owe me everything and you can pay for nothing. Yeah. You have sinned since conception. You were born in iniquity and sin. That's why we talk of original sin. It is in us. It is in our nature. And that's when our nature starts. Maybe it takes a, a few months that we would see after birth, maybe toddler time, that we would see a little tiny cute baby saying no, breaking that which they're not allowed to touch. Then we see the sin. Say, ah, that's when they start sinning. No, no. That's just the fruit of their sinful nature. They already had it. God's wrath was already upon them. But as they grow older and as they have more ability to release that sin, to learn more about sin, to hide their sin. But God's wrath is upon them. God knows the billions of sins that we have committed against Him. And as eternal creatures from off the moment of conception, we will continue sinning against him. And what do we have to pay for our sins? We have nothing. We have nothing. And you say, well, maybe I've got good works. But God says, all your good works are as filthy rags. They're all as filthy rags because anything that a, that a sinner does is self-righteous. It's a self-righteous. There's no good in it. because we're so unrighteous. The unrighteous, out of, a, out, out of a, an unclean thing can come nothing clean. Nothing clean and righteous can come forth from a sinner's heart by the sinner. So we, we can't even do anything. And God knows that, and that's why God has prepared the way. That's why God sent Jesus Christ. God sent His only begotten Son 
to take on the form of man so that he could stand in the place of man, so that he could die a death in the place of man upon that cross, a public death, a legal death, a painful death, a death that God was pleased to accept in the place of sinners. For God so loved the world. Say, ah, is that not the love of God for sinners? In the gospel, yes. In the gospel, yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, as you will, for eternity in hell and in the lake of fire, but have everlasting life because you've believed on his Son. The payment that the Son made he didn't need to pay for any sin. He is and was sinless. And therefore, that, that glorious payment for sin that he made is for others. And so you are to come to God. You are to repent of your sin. And you are to look unto Jesus, to desire the forgiveness of your sins because of what Christ did. Not what you did, but because of what Christ did. This is the gospel that the people in the time of Malachi were not hearing. No, they wouldn't have the same details, admittedly. But they would know this, that every time that a lamb was slaughtered, every time that a bull or a heifer was slaughtered, that there was blood shed, that it was only by the shedding of blood that there is forgiveness of sins. And sinner, the blood has shed pure blood, holy blood, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. So the good news is that you can have peace with God. You can have life with God. You can have a new covenant with God. And not through Levi, but through Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord, and here is the promise, thou shalt be saved. Let us close in prayer, please. Lord, we do thank thee for thy precious word we do thank thee for the gospel we do thank thee for the truth that we see in thy word we must confess O lord that we are not always diligent in receiving the rebukes of god and the teaching of thy word but lord thou can make that difference in our hearts thou canst do so because thou art almighty and thy word is sharper than any two-edged sword May the sword of the Spirit plunge deeply into every heart. May it cut away that which is not pleasing unto thee. Oh, there is much. And so continue that work of sanctification in thy people and those who are not yet thy people. Have mercy upon their souls. Draw them irresistibly to Christ. Cause them to repent and believe. And thou shalt indeed receive all the glory. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.